has been a wonderful worship service, great time to praise God. Now, I want us to turn in our Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of the great passages in the Bible about what we're about to preach about today and speak about today, and that is making a difference together. What could we do? Here's the, here's the question of the day. What can we do as a church, as individual believers, to make the biggest impact in our world today? I mean, after all, with all the the COVID stuff going on, the pandemic, you've got weather things going on, you've got conflict in the country, outside the country, countries with other countries, poverty, you've got all kinds of problems going on. And if I were to tell you, and here it is, the answer to that question is to evangelize. Now you think to yourself, well, what does that have to do practically with anything that you just mentioned? And after all, uh, why proselytize? You know, that's the biggest objection I get to the gospel. Look, it's fine that you want to believe what you want to believe, but why tell everybody else about it? Why insist, if you want to put it that way, insist on everybody else believing like you do? Why proselytize? Well, that's a good question. We'll come to that in just a moment, the answer to that in just a moment. But as we're looking at this, we're, we're looking at the church as a whole and what we mean to society and what we mean to you as well. And we've gone through all the things. Last week we talked about worship. And today we talk about the witnessing, the sharing of our faith with someone else. Why do it? And how do you do it? And what is the content of it? Now we open, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. And Paul is writing a really encouraging word to the church at Corinth. Everything that's gone before has been very encouraging. Then he gets into chapter uh, 5 where he talks about what we need to be doing. And really this is an encouraging, encouraging word because he's saying, look, God came, Jesus Christ came with a mandate. And that mandate is to reconcile the world to himself. And we'll come to that definition in just a moment. But reconcile the world to himself. Now he's passed the baton on to us. And we're, we have privilege of being involved in that same ministry that he was involved in here on earth. So this is a very encouraging passage. We open it up and we read these verses beginning in verse 17. I'm going to take the passage all the way back to verse, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 10 in just a moment. But let me read these verses to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, not making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now you look at this and you say, well, okay, that's all fine and good, but what practical difference does it really make to the individual that's living beside me, going to school, sitting in the next desk or the next table, what difference does it really make? Well, let me just share with you a couple of things. Um, now, you won't find these statistics today because they ask the questions in different ways. Today, they would ask a question about marriage, 
and they would say, okay, there's just as many maybe uh, broken marriages in the church as outside the church. Well, maybe that's true. I, I just don't think it is. And because of the way they asked the question. But back in the day, before this century began, long, long, many years ago, you know, in a, a land far away, you know, in this land, and the question was asked uh, to counselors and others, and it was found out that every time a couple was married, they stayed in church, they were active, involved in the church, they had personal devotions, and did what they could to follow the Bible. Divorce happened in every 1,102 marriages. Now, that's astonishing, but let's bring it a little bit more home a little bit. Suppose there were six guys coming at you in, a, in an alley, and I don't mean to stereotype, but say they were le- wearing, I don't know, leather jackets, chains, or whatever. What would you be, feel more confident about? than they just came from a meeting of communism? They just came from a gang meeting? Or they came from a Bible study, we'll say, on how to walk with Jesus? Well, you say, well, I don't know about that. What? No, no, really, you know the answer to that question. You would feel far safer, much better, if you knew that as they were carrying their Bibles, they just came from a Bible study. Why? Because innately we know, we know that God makes a difference in people's lives. And so as we look at this and how the church really is responsible for this, let's look at three things. Number one, why, and then how, and then what. Now, what about the why? Why should we proselytize? Why should we go the extra mile when it's very uncomfortable for us and often fearful for for us to share the gospel with someone else? Well, because it is the ultimate purpose of the church. Now, I'm, I'm not saying we don't have a lot of purposes. I'm not saying that you're not here to grow in Christ. In fact, this is a believer service. Uh, We disciple people in the small groups. We have intense, more intense discipleship even on Wednesday night. But the ultimate purpose is to raise you up to be a strong witness for Jesus Christ. The Bible would say maybe a warrior for Jesus Christ. And to go out and not only be the coming attractions as people look at your life, but also to share the gospel with others. That's the ultimate purpose of the church. Let's look in verse 11. Paul said this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, this word persuade means to convince. And in the original Greek, it means to convince face-to-face. It means to get before someone and talk to them as one human being to another, face-to-face, to convince them, to persuade them. Paul says, look, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He was raised again on the third day, and we must receive him in our heart. And I am persuaded to try to persuade others and convince them to follow Jesus Christ the way I follow him. And he gives two reasons. Now, this was his reasons. There are reasons for us as well, but it's not an exhaustive list. He says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I don't want to get you confused here. In the book of Revelation, there is a great white throne judgment, and the only ones that are going to be judged there are those who have never received Jesus. This is not that judgment. This is the judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, A better name, another name for it is the Bema judgment. And it's one question that God's going to ask us. He's going to say, look, I've given you uh, your time, your money, your family, the gospel message, I've given you all these things. Now, you, you're a steward of God. 
Now, what did you do with what I gave you to do with? And that's going to be the question. And so Paul says, look, I know I'm accountable to God. But then he says also, the love of God, verse 14, the love of God constrains me. He says, I also have this love for other people that they would want to know Jesus Christ or they would come to know Jesus Christ the way I know him. The the joy that I have, Paul says, in my life, the peace that I enjoy in my life, the uh, relationships that I enjoy in my life. I want everyone to live that kind of life. And then when they face eternity, they'll have Jesus in their heart and go to heaven. That's what Paul's persuaded. He says, I'm accountable to God. I'm accountable to people in a way. I want other people to know Jesus as I know him. Now, notice that this ministry that God has called us to is based upon what Jesus Christ did himself. He says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, this word reconciliation or reconcile means to join together again. It's to make peace between two parties. If you, were, you and I were to study all the way back to the original design of God and the book of Genesis, we would find that God made man in order to fellowship with him, made man sinless. But when we, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, what happened, there was a separation, and a separation between God and mankind. That's the reason we have trouble having joy and peace in our life and also really just feeling his presence in our life. And so Jesus came along to reconcile. He took the hand of mankind and the hand of God and joined them together as he died on the cross for our sins. Now that same ministry, that same ministry that he had, it says here in the scriptures that he's given it to us. And so we look at the why then. Why should we do this as God has given us this ministry? First of all, let me say that uh, basically conversion is unavoidable. It's just unavoidable. For example, someone would say, uh, Pastor, I disagree with you uh, on the proselytizing. I believe that you can believe what you want to believe, but to, to require everybody else to believe that, to, to insist or even talk to them and try to persuade them to believe like you do is just proselytizing. Well, what you've done, all right, according to N.T. Wright, theologian, philosopher, what you've done is try to proselytize me because that's your way of thinking. So your way of thinking is, is that I should not tell anyone about Jesus. I should keep it to myself because not to do so uh, and spreading that, I'm trying to convince somebody else. So you ought, I don't think like you think that I ought to be quiet about it. And so you are persuading me to a, a worldview, a, a, a line of thought. And so N.T. Wright would say, for you to do that and not realize what you're doing, he says is hypocritical. Because there's no way that if you're going to voice an opinion, if you're going to voice an opinion with any concern whatsoever about what the other person is believing and you want them to believe a little bit more like you because it's going to do them some good or it's just irritating you or whatever, you are proselytizing. And so conversion to a way of thought is kind of unavoidable. But then also, it's necessary. Lost people are a loss to God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, that was a loss in the heart of God. The Bible says that we were once enemies of God, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the the death of his son. It says we were once enemies to God. What happened to us? The Bible says Adam sinned against God and by one sin entered, one man's sin entered into the world. 
Adam. And because of that, we're all born from him. And so all have sinned. You and I have a sin nature. Now, we're not responsible for Adam's sin, just, just our own. But we have a sin nature. It's very natural for us to, to be selfish, for not putting other people first. Very natural for us to feel prideful in something. And that might uh, uh, demonstrate itself in arrogance or insecurity. But nevertheless, it's natural for us to do these, do these things because of what we've gone through. Jesus, when he came here, came here to die on the cross for your sins. But before he could do that, he had to convince at least the Jewish audience that they were lost. You see, the Jewish mindset was, hey, we're from Abraham. We're okay. You know, uh, Abraham's going to take care of me. Uh, Moses is going to take care of me. The fact that I am, I'm responsible for the Old Testament scriptures, that's going to take care of me. Jesus said, no, you need a savior. He said this, I tell you, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees who thought they were pretty much perfect, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty emphatic, and that came from the, the words of Jesus himself. For some of you that think that I just quoted Paul or Peter, no, I quoted Jesus. Of course, all of the word of God, but I quoted Jesus. That's what he said. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we became separated from God, and then God says, look, there's no way, I don't care how good you are, how perfect, maybe you're, you're so close to being perfect, there's nothing you can do to make up for that sin, nothing you can do to save yourself. We're helpless in that. He said, in the book of Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, grace God's undeserved favor. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a, a result of works that no one may boast. So what's our, our dilemma is, the Bible says we're, we're sinners. We're separated from God. God's on one side of the, on this mountain, you might say, and we're over here on another mountain. And there's a great chasm that separates us. Who's going to be the mediator? Who's going to be the reconciler? The Bible says Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He says, I'm the road. There was no road to heaven. That we were helpless in saving ourselves. And you say, no, now wait a minute. There's got to be more than one way to heaven. What irritates us, because I used to be in, in that boat, and what irritated me, and what irritated my friends, and what irritates people that I share Christ with, it's not that there's not many ways to heaven, but there's not one more way. My way. You know, my, my directive. But you see, the essence of salvation is really to surrender the right to say, I am saving my own self. It is, the, it is the act of saying, I'm humbling myself before God. God, I can't do anything. I can't save myself. I'm humbling myself at the foot of the cross, knowing the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from sin, and I'm surrendering to your way. How in the world do you think that we're going to surrender to God and as he directs our life every single day of our life when some of the things seem kind of oblivious? I mean, I mean rather the, they, they seem to be uh, rather... Um, questionable. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. How can we expect to do that and trust him when we can't even trust him to come up with a way to save us? The way. There are no doors. God made a door. And because of that, he took on the, the hand of God, the Father, and the hand of mankind and reconciled them together. And he's saying because of that, 
I'm giving, I'm passing the baton to you, and I'm saying to you that you now have that ministry. It's necessary, but also it works. It works every time. Paul said it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What was he saying? He's saying, look, I don't hesitate to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel one-on-one, face-to-face with somebody else. I don't, I don't hesitate to tell them about the peace that they're going to experience, the forgiveness they're going to have, uh, the eternal life that they're going to inherit because I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's not that he's not ashamed to preach it. That's part of it. But he's not ashamed that he's going to tell you something that's not true. He's saying it works every time. You can trust being a reconciled to God because what, what has God called us to do now? To take the hand of our friend, to take the hand of our neighbor, to take the hand of someone in the world and take the hand of Jesus and join them together with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It works every time. So how do we do it? How? Well, it's through the supernatural practices of the church. Jesus was the bridge between all of mankind and us. Now he's passed that ministry to us and we are now the bridge between our friend, our relative, and the hand of Jesus. And so the Bible says in verse 20, he says, he's in verse 19, he's entrusting us with the message. In other words, hey, I can trust, God's trusting me, I can trust him that the message is true. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now he could have done this through angels. He could have just called, right now, he'd call angels out of heaven and I don't know, with their wings and their harps. I don't know what they, they have exactly in heaven. And everybody, whoa, that's an angel. What one of that angel has to say? And the angel tells us the gospel. But he's chosen, God has chosen not to do it through angels, but to do it through you. To invite you into the ministry of reconciliation. To invite you into the ministry that he had. Why? Well, I don't know all the answer to that. The Bible doesn't tell us. But one of the things it does tell us is that he's chosen us because we know what it's like to be forgiven. And the angels do not. He's chosen us. And now we're ambassadors. And, of course, you know that ambassador is someone who, uh, in our country at least, goes and lives in another country to represent the United States. Now, he doesn't just go to another country as far as the Roman government was concerned, at least. He went there to represent Rome and say, this is the Roman lifestyle. Don't misunderstand what Rome's like. This is the Roman lifestyle. I'm living that so you can see what the Roman Rome really is like. He says we're ambassadors. We're to go out to our friends and neighbors, our relatives, and say, look, this is how This is how the Christian church really is. This is how what Jesus Christ meant for us to live, even in all the struggles, even all the mistakes. Here's the sincerity and the humility of the heart. And, of course, to spread the message. He says, I've entrusted you with this. I've chosen to go through you. So how? Well, we we live it. We've got to live it personally, right? In the process of living it personally. Let me share with you how important that is. One of the things that God teaches us is that in his presence is fullness of joy. If you and I do not have the joy of the Lord in our heart, we're not going to be good at advertisements for the gospel, advertisements for Jesus out in the world, but also we're just not going to really want to tell anybody about something that doesn't seem to be working for us. If we don't feel like we have, that's why the Bible says here in, in, uh, in verse 20, we implore you on 
behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Paul is pouring out his heart here. He's wanting them to know Jesus the way he knows him. But with all the midst of trials, he still had joy in his life. So you're living the Christian life. You're living it in such a way to be an advertisement to the gospel of Christ. When you go out, you're the window dressing. You, you are the, the person that's the coming attractions when you go to a movie because of the joy and the peace in your own heart because you're walking with Jesus Christ and you're trusting him with all the trials and adversities of your life. So when people out in, outside of these church doors, they see your life and they see how you are responding to all the problems that you're going through because becoming a Christian doesn't alleviate all your problems. That does alleviate some because you're gonna, since you sin less, less, you are going to have fewer problems. But it's not gonna alleviate your problems. It's how you respond to those problems and the joy and the victory that you have in that. You live a moral life. You live a life for eternity, not, not just the present. Not just the present. You, you live in light of eternity. And that's one of the ways that you get through the trials of life. You know that all these things are going to come to pass and they're going to pass away and you're going to keep on living and you're going to have more victories. You're going to have more trials, but you live in the light of eternity knowing that this life is a small number of years compared to eternity. And therefore you live unselfishly. You want to pour yourself into someone else. Uh, you, You live with your responsibilities and not claiming all your rights. You know, you, you, you let people into traffic. One of the things that um, I, I used to preach a lot and uh, marriage and, and uh, on, on this particular thing, that in your roles and responsibilities, you can claim your rights or you can claim your responsibilities. And the successful marriage always, and any counselor will tell you this, comes with responsibility. You've got responsibilities and not merely your rights. Now, you have a right to be silent, You have a right not to share Christ with anyone. That's your right. But we're talking here about the responsibilities. And so you live it personally, and then you apply it. You you act on it. And how do you do that? Well, you serve others. You serve others. So what we're doing today, taking up food for the food pantries around Oviedo, you you have a giving heart toward that. We had... Uh, you know, the, the, the service, I mean, the, the golf tournament and everything a few years ago where we put cameras in all the schools and we start, helped start the Boys and Girls Club with our Christmas offering last year. We can go on and on, but what happens in the community when you do that? Now, we, we need to do that no matter what. Even if the community hates us doing that, we still need to do that. But what happens? Oh, you belong to that church? You belong to Cross Life. Those are the ones that put the cameras. I'm, I'm a school teacher over at Oviedo High School, and you put all the, the cameras and all the equipment for us to be safer. Thank you very much. Immediately, that gives you an avenue to share why we did it, because of the love of Jesus. Same with the Boys and Girls Club. Same with the food pantry. Oh, you're the church that's doing that. We need to act consistently, and that means not just, not just um, living the Christian life, to ourselves, and not just being friendly, but being kind. In fact, we need to seek it together and see it. People need to see it corporately as a church, as a group. All of us today, and I don't want to get you off the hook or anything like that from sharing, but really all of us today are involved in some way or another in evangelism or non-evangelism. How, why do I say that? Well, people show up at our church doors, and we're either friendly or not. You know, I, I know some churches that say, yeah, I went to that church and everybody with a name tag on was friendly to me, but nobody else was. 
Are you kind? Do you try to help people? As people come through the door, it's been said by many surveys, by the way, that people make up their mind whether they like a church or not the first 10 minutes they drive on campus. You see, I don't get a shot at them. It's not my fault. You know, <laughs> not my fault. Your fault. No, you're either evangelizing or you're not. You're, you're, you're being uh, against evangelism. If you just come in, you're kind of all to yourself. And people see, well, you know, these people are no different from the, they are down at the local restaurant, you know. It's all the same. They're trying to get a seat or their particular seat. And, uh, you know, they, they want to do this. And, and, and they're all about, you know, getting their kids where they're going. And you, you got to do that. But, wow, nobody's spoken to me. Kindness, helpfulness. We are that coming attraction. What would happen if an alien... Uh, you know, I've been watching the Marvel movies too much. An alien came to our church and he looked, maybe this is meant more men in black, but nevertheless looked like us. He had some kind of disguise, looked like, he's really a lizard, but you know, he looks like us. And he shows up and he says, you know, this is the planet where the son of God visited. And I want to go into one of those church places, all right? And I want to see what difference Jesus makes in the life of those people. And they walk in here. What are they going to find? What are they going to find? You see, all of us are involved in evangelism or not evangelism, anti-evangelism, you might say. We're talking about the greeters. We're talking about the ushers. We're talking about the music. We're talking about... What, what they do with their heart during the music. And, and you, know, you, you notice they sing with their heart and the preaching as well. And everything that even goes on after church, they walk off, that alien walks off, and he gets back into his spaceship. What's he going to tell the other lizards? You know, about the difference Jesus Christ makes. So why should we do it? Well, then what should we do? Well, we, the what is, we're empowered with the proclamation of the church. It says in verse 11, we persuade. That, again, means face to face with the message of the gospel, that we are sinners separated from God, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for that, those sins. He raised again on the third day to conquer death, to conquer sin for us, to give us life. How bad is my sin? I mean, after all, Everybody does. It's not that bad. If, you, if I'd only sinned one time and I was the only person to ever sin, it would have been bad, bad, bad enough to God that Jesus Christ would have had to come down here to this earth and die on the cross for that sin for me to be saved and forgiven. That's how much it is. So <clears throat> we are now the bridges in evangelism. Well, how do you do that? Well, how did they do it in the first church? The early church. I read a statistic, and I checked on this to make sure it was correct. I was saying it the right way. The church grew, according to the historian, 40% per decade for the first 300 decades. Now, you think about that. All the way up to Constantine, the church grew 40%. How did they do that? Well, let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't do, have mass crusades. You couldn't go in the open air and preach because persecution was going on so heavily. In fact, 
There was no such thing as a seeker service. The only way you could go to a worship service is to be a baptized believer. Why? Well, if they didn't check on that, people could walk in, and I'm sure it happened many times, and they go out, and if their life was not changed during that meeting, they'd go out and tell the Roman government, the Roman guards, and you would be raided the next Sunday. And many would be arrested and some would be killed. So they couldn't take a chance on that. In fact, the early deacons were bouncers. We're going to recognize our bouncers, in, I mean our, our deacons in just a few moments. But they were bouncers. No open air crusades, no mission boards, no, of course, no television or internet. How did they do that? They did it face to face, persuading face to face, one on one with their neighbors, bringing the best news to them. In fact, we're going to start a series next week about this. And uh, we're going to be talking about the best news. And we're going to teach you in, uh, in small groups, at least. It tracks a little bit smaller than this, but this is bigger to give you uh, a little bit more visual. On uh, the track, a little track that James Merritt presented to us on our mission, in our missions conference. And we've adopted that with his permission. And we're going to teach you how to do that. Now, the first service gave that a round of applause. Yes, and it was about that deafening too. Anyway, and you say, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to do that. Well, that is so threatening to me. I am an introvert. God has never given us anything to do without the power to do it. Without the power to do it. I remember hearing a story about a lady who was afraid of the water. Deathly afraid. And they had a, this couple had a swimming pool in the backyard. And I, you know, I know this has happened maybe to you, and I pray that it hasn't. But their two-year-old fell into the pool while her, the man of the house, the husband, the father, was at work. He was called. He rushed home. He found his wife sitting in the living room soaking wet from head to toe. And the baby was saved. And he was bewildered. He said, how did you do it? You were so afraid of water. And she said, my love for my baby was greater than my fear of the water. The love of God constrains, it controls us. It motivates us. The Bible says, if you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power by my Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Oswald Chambers said, we choose to deliberately obey God. He will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist us with all his almighty power. Now, what about us today? What about us? You have a, you have a tremendous capability. There's not a person here, really, that doesn't have that capability. I'm amazed at the sharpness, the intelligence uh, of the people in our church. I'm just humbled to be able to pastor you. So many smart people. We can do this, and we are going to be sharing with you. And We're going to, we're going to have newspapers. We're, next week we're going to have newspapers with testimonies in it. People have gotten saved here and people that have witnessed to people. We, we've got this to teach you during the, uh, the small group hours. I mean, preaching on the different barriers that we have sometimes during the, 
sharing the best news next week. But what about you? What about you? I believe that you can do this and make the biggest difference in eternity. Now, if you're here today and you've never received Christ into your heart, maybe you're sitting back and thinking to yourself, well, I'm kind of a target or whatever. It's not that. It's just that we love you. We love you and something about Jesus Christ has changed our life. And we want you to experience that same thing. And if you haven't, now's the time to do that. Don't wait till next week. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It, it, eternity could be opened up for you right now in heaven and not, not going there today, but certainly eternal life could begin today, today for you and forgiveness of all your sins and, and what you need in your life and that relationship with God. It could start today, right now. And you can do so by praying with me with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's the prayer of your heart, if you're just saying, God, I'm tired of doing this alone. I'm tired of seeking to be good when I can't be good enough. Lord, I'm just tired and I want the free gift of eternal life. I'm just humbling myself before you. Pray this. God, I'm humbling myself before you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin because there's nothing I can do to save myself. I open my heart to you. I bear it to you. And I ask you to come in. Well, the Bible says, whosoever, that's me, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I'm calling on you, God. Would you save me now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.